Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. Take two, along with Matt Eddy. This is John Manuel coming to you from the BA Podcast Nook, and we're sponsored by MLB Network. MLB Network special offer at the Baseball America store on BaseballAmerica.com. It's uh, four issues for $4 at the Baseball America online store at BaseballAmerica.com. And, Matt, uh, we will all be at the winter meetings next uh, next week. Uh, it's been a quiet uh, winter uh, kind of hot stove so far in baseball this year. Uh, the Marlins have been active with a lot of trades. Uh, we've had Juan Uribe as the big free agent signing so far with the Dodgers. I think the part that you and I are most excited about, of course, is the Rule 5 draft. Uh, we, we have a little Rule 5 fever every year. It builds the closer you get to the Rule 5. Really, I'm always grumpy Rule 5 guy writing the Rule 5 preview, and then we get the Rule 5 preview gets out online and it gets released to the hounds and the Everybody starts feeding us back more information, and then the, I start getting a little Rule Five fever. I kind of like the way it builds up to to, to this year Orlando. You're, you, uh, would you call yourself a Rule Five junkie, or do you just have interest in the Rule Five? Uh, you know, I'm more interested in the the 40 man roster aspect of it. You are, you know, who's on and who's not. Uh, what's that section? Uh, that subsection of the transactions blog called rules and rules procedures. And procedures. <laughs> <laughs> I love the rules and procedures link of the transactions blog. You are interested in the rules and procedures. And then how guys get protected on the 40-man and how they don't. And I think you did a really, if you haven't read it, uh, it's a fascinating article, I think, kind of breaking down the last 10 years of Rule 5s, a decade of Rule 5 drafts, and uh, and how it's changed in the last four Rule 5s. And this is the fifth year of the current rule, the common era, as it were, of the Rule 5 draft. And the bottom line, Matt, is that it's really hard to find, it's a lot harder now to find talent in these current rules. And the amazing thing is two of the best Rule 5 picks ever were found in the first year of these yeah. new rules in Josh Hamilton and Joachim Soria. But since then, it's been much slimmer pickings in the Rule 5. Yeah, you wonder if teams uh, just didn't know what to expect, you know? I mean, we have, to, we have to think back to what the world looked like in December of 06. Josh Hamilton had, had missed three seasons completely and had 50 at-bats in right. the New York Penn League. 50 at-bats in New York Penn League. And he got hurt at the end of that. That's right. I actually just talked to a scout today about that, how that went down. And it was a fascinating backstory about Josh Hamilton and about uh, yeah, the Cubs ended up drafting him and then trading him to the Reds and kind of a little bit of how that went down. And, uh, you know, people had seen there was so little information on Josh Hamilton and nobody really knew if he'd turn things around for real or not. And exactly. We hear so many stories and you hear, you know, I think everybody's read their own Josh Hamilton story of just how bedraggled he was, how he looked, how wasted away he was. And now when you see him, I mean, basically – uh, you know, Bryce Harper gets compared to him, and it's not always it's not always favorable for Bryce Harper, and that's that's hard. You have to be a special talent. Uh, now, obviously, American League MVP, and then Soria, a guy who uh, fits, I think, is a much more common tale. Latin American pitcher, mm-hmm. uh, harder to evaluate because he hasn't pitched in the United States in domestic le- domestic leagues very much. He'd been loaned out by the Padres to a Mexican league. Uh, club, correct? Correct. And then had a big winner the, the first month of winter ball leading up to the Rule 5 draft. Yeah, and it's, it's easy to forget now that he was released by the Dodgers. I had for, completely forgotten And he, and he that. missed a year of a Tommy John surgery. I did in, not know in that. In the season he got drafted in the Rule 5, he made seven appearances in low A, you know? <laughs> wow. That's just amazing. I mean, that's just amazing scouting, just trusting the makeup of the player you talked about in take one. Yeah. <laughs> about... About how you're looking for history. looking for a player with a carrying tool, right? And a, the competitive makeup That's right. to survive. And and I think uh, obviously both those teams are right on Soria and Hamilton. Yeah, Josh Hamilton a little bit more obvious because of the 
the tools, there's more than one carrying tool there. Yeah. It was all the makeup. Yeah, but Joachim Soria, that's that's incredible scouting. And I think more people think about when they think Rule 5, um, people like me think old school, uh, George Taco Bell or Kelly Gruber. Yeah, the Pat Gillick's teams were really good at the Rule 5. Mm. Uh, Blue Jays, I think he was active with the Rule 5 when he had the Mariners. He was active with the Rule 5 with the Phillies. Mm. Um, uh, so there's certain teams that are more active in the Rule 5 than others. And the Yankees, we talked about in, ta- in Take 1, have been surprisingly active in recent years. Um, and, and not only that, but they take guys like well, last year trading up for the first pick in the Rule Five Draft, and taking guys to target a specific big league need, which is really strange. That you, really you can't find that in your two hundred million dollar budget. <laughs> I think it's really strange the Yankees have chosen to do that, um, and they're over two in those specific cases with uh, Jamie Hoffman and. Uh, Josh, uh, Phelps. Josh Phelps, that's right. Yeah. But last year, like you wrote, I mean, I, I think we all thought at the time, well, that's kind of a coup for the Nationals. Brian Bruni's a useful big league reliever, and they traded, they acquired for the rise of the first overall pick in the Rule 5, and yet Brian, Brian Bruni uh, dropped a giant stink bomb in Washington. <laughs> he did. He was awful. <laughs> but would you, um, when you look at the success stories of that draft, though, maybe the Nationals were smart, you know? Yeah, because there, there, was there, there were, a success There really story? wasn't. The guys to stick were Hector Ombres. That's right. hurt most of the year. Car- right. Carlos Monasterios, who's, who is the success of this draft. That's right. Uh, Kanakoa Teixeira and David Herndon. I think uh, Kanakoa Teixeira is the one we always remember because his name is Kanakoa Teixeira. So, <laughs> uh, uh, that, that, that one uh, sticks out to me. But, yeah, I mean, Carlos Monasterios is one of the most successful guys out of that draft for sure and has a chance to be a success long term. But, I mean, uh, there's going to be few people who will come out of that Rule 5 and make as much of an impact as he did. And he, all he had was, what, like 80 innings? In the big leagues, I mean, it wasn't like he made a, some great impact. That said, we still devoted like 1,700, 2,000 words to a Rule 5 preview with uh, 25 players. And we keep on getting more uh, for a Rule 5 preview. So let's... Uh, yeah, who are some of these players that really stood out to you? Well, that's the thing. Well, Monasterios uh, made 13 big league starts last year, which is amazing. And I think we both agree that there are some guys who could make uh, big league starts uh, in 2010, uh, 2011 um, in, uh, in the Rule 5. Uh, one of them, uh, actually I'm kind of audibly here a little bit, was Scott Diamond. Mm-hmm. Left-hander of the Braves from uh, Binghamton. That's right, and he's an NDFA. That's right, which we love. Uh, one, he was the Beachy before there was a Brandon Beachy. That's right. I mean, I think that we love. Uh, that's one of the things that we like the best. I think is that he's a uh, non-drafted free agent. Yeah. Um, and a good one. Uh, a guy who's got some AAA experience. He's a lefty with some pitch feel. Mm-hmm. I think he's a guy that if you're looking for a left-handed pitcher to be your fifth starter, you're gonna do a lot worse than Scott Diamond to come in and at least compete for a job. And again, the cal- the cost is fifty thousand mm-hmm. um, dollars. I think the one that we thought was the most intriguing right-handed starter, the most likely guy to get picked, was Anuri Rodriguez of the Rays organization. And the fascinating part was that basically the Rays chose to protect Matt Bush, the 2004 number one overall pick in the draft, infamously, um, now a right-handed pitcher. They chose to protect oft-injured. I'm Matt Effing Bush. Uh, twice arrested Matt Bush, at least that way I remember, and instead they exposed Anuri Rodriguez. Why do you think they did that, man? I mean, putting your, pretend you're Andrew Friedman. Explain to me why you do that. Okay. Uh, pretend you're Chaim Bloom and you're arguing that in the room. Because <laughs> Chaim is uh, the baseball operation guy. I think yeah. I'm pronouncing his name right. Yeah. Um, it was more fun I th- to say. I think what, what we hit upon in, in take one of this podcast was That's that right. uh, the Rays have an abundance of starting depth, uh, whereas... You know, they probably don't have somebody like um, 
Matt Bush, who if, if the stars align, could be this year's Grant Ball for. Right. Know? Yeah. You know, you got a guy who throws hard, and well, he throws hard. You catch lightning in a bottle, yeah. and, uh, you know, how great does your makeup have to be to be a relief pitcher? You know, just show up every day. That's been a problem for Matt Bush. But when he has shown up, when he has pitched, when he has been healthy, he has a special arm. When he was drafted as a shortstop in 2004, his best tool was his arm. It was a 70 yeah. arm, and he's athletic, uh, somewhat so anyway, and uh, it's fascinating to me. Whereas Rodriguez is a guy who I think everyone thought the projection would happen with that pitcher's body and the stuff would improve. And really it's more like three fringe average to average pitches and some pitchability. It's a back of the rotation profile. But if Carlos Monasterios can make 13 starts for a team that was in contention for most of the year, mm-hmm. um, I think that Anuri Rodriguez can. And I think Scott Diamond has an outside shot at that. Yep. Um, you know, a guy we did not mention in take one, Matt, but one of the biggest prospects who's on the Rule 5 eligibles list Adam Miller, the right-hander of the Indians, who actually threw briefly in Instructional League, was he a four-time number one prospect for the Indian system? How many times did Chris Klein rank this guy number one? (laughs) It's not Chris's fault. But uh, Adam Miller, who had just electric stuff uh, when he was healthy, but has not really been healthy for the better part of four seasons. Yeah. Uh, First, yeah, there he is, number one prospect from 2005 to 2008. Who did you like on the eligibles list who you think might get popped? Okay, I think uh, when you look at the Orioles leaving two of their top ten prospects off the off the 40-man roster entirely, and setting that roster at 35, and leaving Win Pelzer and Ryan Adams exposed, I think, well, I don't know exactly what to think. It's it's a pretty strong indictment. You hope the Orioles are active with free agents, you know, <laughs> or make a one-for-five trade. You know, maybe they got Von Hayes stuck in their roster somewhere. <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna deal him because it is surprising. Uh, for them not to protect, especially a guy like Pelzer. Ryan Adams, I understand. Mm-hmm. Whether he sticks or not, I, I, you know, that's debatable. Or Brandon Waring, whom they didn't protect as well. I mean, Brandon Waring has as much power as anybody on that eligibles list, and he did hit a lot of home runs in double-A, but he also struck out 179 times. Yeah. So his chances of success in the big leagues, I think, are small. But when Pelzer didn't make sense to me. I mean, they just gave up. They got him for Miguel Tejada. So you think they'd be a little invested in him. Yep. And, uh... He throws hard. He throws power stuff, and he's got a good split. His slider comes and goes. But, you know, last year in the Cali, we talked to people who thought he could start. Yep, that's right. Um, and he started most of the year in double-A uh, for the Padres. So very surprising the Orioles made that decision to me. And, uh, you know, I made a parallel in the article that maybe this is going to be like 2003 Pittsburgh all over again where the you know Pirates, you know, it was like a, it was like a joke. Every player picked was picked from the Pirates organization. Five of the top even, six. Yeah, and they weren't even a good farm system at the time. And, of course, one of them was Jose Batista, who they traded through four different organizations <laughs> to get back. They pursued him, you know, hunted him down like the dog he is. And, and once they had him, he didn't perform for them. They let him go for, what, Robbins and Diaz? Robbins and Diaz, that's right. <laughs> Yuck. Yuck. So, uh, mm-hmm. so yeah, so it's uh, the Rule 5 Collegians in very, very different places. Um, I'm not sure who else you liked. Uh, out of the eligibles list, Matt, but I know we talked about Matt, Dan Ugla again as a guy that we've referenced over and over again when it comes to the Rule 5. A guy that we did talk about in the take one that is lost to history was Brad Emus as maybe a – it just aren't that many bats. You had the percentages broken down. It's really a pitcher-heavy uh, exercise the last four years, correct? Yeah. Uh, last last four years, uh, since the rules have changed to the, to the way they currently are, uh, 73% – of players selected in the Rule 5 draft are have been pitchers. Um, uh, 52% of the total pool right-handers and 21% left-handers. And I guess that, that mirrors, you know, what your your ratio is of right-handers and left-handers in the game. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, 
But one out of every five players that gets Rule 5 is a left-handed pitcher. That's um, true. Yeah. So, and you've had some guys uh, like a, a Wesley Wright as a recent left-hander suge- uh, success story. Are there other left-hander success stories, or is he the one who really sticks out? Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm looking back here. Uh, uh, Jay Marshall stuck with the A's in 2007. That's, that's right. Uh, he might be the only other one. That's, that's unbelievable. But but last year, uh, let's see, oh nine, um, Ben Snyder, Edgar, that's right. Edgar Osuna, Zach Cranky, and Chuck Lofgren, that's all right. were retained by the drafting team. That's right. And trades. They made, exactly. All all the deal here or there. And Kronicky didn't even have to be returned. I don't think to the Yankees. He was a special case. It would have been a second time through waivers, so he could have declared free agency at that point. So the Diamondbacks. Compromised and gave him a forty-man spot. That's it. And he pitched. Uh, yeah. He pitched in the big leagues late in the year, yeah. if I recall correctly, for a, uh, obviously a team that was not uh, doing so hot. Um, but some of the left-handers, I, I ran a couple of left-handed uh, Latin pitchers who haven't gone out of A-ball. It's those kind of guys, I think, who you could lose. A guy like an Edgar Abara for the Twins, a Luis Avilon of the Braves. You know, Avilon's a guy who's been up to ninety-three, ninety-four from the left side at times. Um, you know, uh, pitch, he's pitching a winter ball. Edgar Barra pitching winter ball uh, has shown three three pitches. Those those kind of guys who I think there are targets and guys who do get targeted specifically in winter ball and get scouted in winter ball. And one of the next steps as we prepare for next week is really now that we have really a week and a half, two weeks more of statistics to go through the the winter ball stats and see who's really performing down there and for, try to find some scouts who've done some winter ball scouting who will give you some information because. More likely, my experience has been the guys who are scouting winter ball, they don't want to talk until after the Rule 5 because that's one of the reasons they were down there in the Dominican and Mexico or Puerto Rico or wherever uh, to start, you know, the in November and early December. They're down there targeting Rule 5 guys, and they don't want anyone else to know about it. So, that's right. Um, it's, it's tough to get that information out of people this time of year. Uh, one of the things that we've talked about with this, uh, Matt, and uh, on our Rule 5 podcast uh, before we get to some questions is that uh, you know the position players who do get taken? Uh, the one one of the recent success stories have been guys up the middle. Uh, Everett Cabrera really sticks out. Ugla kind of stuck out. You know, Brad Emus is a guy from this year's pool who might get taken, even though he doesn't really run. Um, you know, do you think? That, I guess what's more likely that for one of these guys to come out and be a regular out of the Rule Five, or just to kind of be in that kind of the Yankees approach of fitting a specific role, maybe an extra player. We mentioned on take one about a Steven Vogt as a great role player type, a uh, left-handed hitting catcher, first baseman, corner outfield type. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, Steve Vogt's a good one. But uh, as to Emus, you know, he's he's a bit stretched at second. I know that might not be an issue for a, for a team drafting at the top who's probably going to finish lower in the standings anyway, you know. Right, might right. Give, might give him a chance to add him to the organization. But, you know, Emus is probably, probably more of a third base bat, you know. Maybe, you know, at his best, 50 hit, 50 power. Yeah, I think you're I right. I don't know I if he's got fair. quite that much power. but he, he, You know, he, he hit some home runs this year. I think it was a career high, but nine of those ten home runs at AAA came at Cashman Field. In Vegas, and yeah. So he was in Vegas, pretty offensive environment. I mean, you know better than I do how offensive an environment that is. Um, but it's surprising to me that he was left uh, unprotected. Also, if he gets Rule 5, if Scott Campbell tried to become the first New Zealander to make it to the big leagues, he's eligible and uh, I don't even know if he plays anymore this year, but uh, he's a Rule 5 eligible guy. Maybe he sneaks into the big leagues and gets uh, New Zealand a big leaguer uh, via the Rule 5 route. That didn't happen for Travis Wilson, the old Braves uh, New Zealand guy. 
I'm always looking for little quirks uh, on that side on the, on the Rule 5. And we talked about the left-handers. Uh, you know, Robert Fish was a guy that we talked about also. We should have mentioned him. A uh, guy that you wrote up uh, in the Angels list. I, I forget, had he made your top 30, your prelim top 30? He's not in the prelim. Uh, he got hit really hard in double-A. Yeah. I, op- I opted for another left-handed reliever who I won't reveal his identity. Nice. But, like um, really hard, meaning like a 90 RA almost, wasn't it? Yeah. It was pretty bad. I mean, he throws 95. The mechanics are pretty violent. It's going to be tough for him to throw secondary stuff. But I think one thing, that we, one thing we have talked about, I don't think performance matters as much in the Rule 5, which is that's surprising. Right. That this is a toolsier draft, where you think the amateur draft would be all tools and not much performance, but people performance scout on the amateur side, mm-hmm. and here are guys playing professional baseball, and they're tools scouting almost exclusively. There you go. Because a guy like Fish, I think we think he is interesting, or a guy like uh-huh. Tim Wood, yep. a guy like Elvin Ramirez. These are interesting guys. Big power arms, Matt Bush. Obviously, the Rays feared losing him, despite the fact that he has no performance track record, really, for six years. <laughs> you know, that, really, that really bothers me. Would that that's who would that be more surprising than Josh Hamilton, you think, if, if Matt Bush were to... Uh, wow. If he, if, if he had know. gone through this process and succeeded? I don't know. I think he would not be more surprising than Josh Hamilton, because he got arrested twice, but... We did see the flash of Matt. Josh Hamilton had played for one month in four years. I don't know. That's a great question. Because Josh Hamilton was a legitimate number one overall pick, whereas Matt Bush was a compromise. Oh, my God, we can't afford these other guys. Let's draft this guy. So, well documented, obviously. And speaking of him, did you see that Chief Gaten has been hired as a pro scout by the Cardinals? Really? Yeah. That was in Tracy Ringlesby's uh, most recent column in uh, the latest issue of Baseball America, which has Mike Trout on the cover, your first cover story, as you said. Great inside joke. I love that inside joke. Uh, no one else in the staff has been caught that one, and fewer people on this podcast will catch it. It's the Baseball America podcast with John and Matt. We have some questions on the Twitter that we should go ahead and get to uh, about the Rule 5. Um, one of them will, who will the Mets look at from our resident Mets fan, NY Mets 945? I think it's not so much the Mets will look at guys. I don't know what the track record of their new regime is, but to me, uh, you know, I don't think the Rule 5 is their first area of uh, discussion. I will say it wouldn't shock me, and it happens a lot, Matt, that guys from outside organizations, when they go to new organizations, they take guys from their old organizations. Mm. Like if Sandy Alderson took and Paul DePodesta took guys from the Padres, where they both most recently worked. Yep. Obviously, Sandy was in MLE before that, but for only for a year. Wouldn't shock us if they took some Padres. So you're saying they're going to take Nick Schmidt in the first and then Brad Emus in the second. Right? Awesome, that's it. J.P. Ricciardi. J.P. Ricciardi, exactly. <laughs> that would be awesome if they did that. We'd be blogging the heck out of that one. <laughs> or tweeting, and I guess in 2011, 2010, we don't have to live blog. We'll just tweet the, the yeah, Rule uh, 5 uh, picks. That'll be thought. interesting. Well, tweet every AAA uh, Rule 5 pick. That'll be especially <laughs> at Eddie MK uh, Twitter feed. <laughs> um, Go Brokes uh, asks about Jeremy Horst. Um, did he, does he get picked, and can he stick with the team? I say no and no. Uh, my answer is there. You know, Jeremy Horst is efficient. We did get a chance to see him, I believe, in the postseason, and I know uh, Ben Badler saw a lot of the Carolina Mudcats, the double-A team that Jeremy pitched most of the season with. Um, you know, he's a pitchability feel left-hander. I mean, there are better pitchability feel left-handers out there. I'd take Scott Diamond, Scott Diamond over him yeah. as an example. But someone else might like Jeremy Horst. My guess is no. The touch and feel left-handers are usually not guys who get popped too high unless you really think they can stick in that fifth spot. I'm thinking of, like, John Halama types, and yeah. I just don't see those kind of guys being uh, popped too often in the Rule 5. 
Nope. Uh, um, yeah, it's, it's your Wesley Wrights and your Donald Veals. Those, those are the kinds of guys who could take in. That's right, your big-armed yeah. guys. Yeah. Um, other guy, uh, another Twitter question, <clears throat> who do you think is most likely to get plucked from the Orioles system, specifically wondering about a buddy of mine, Pat Egan. I did see Egan in the Fall League. He's kind of a big, uh, goofy-looking fella, if I may say so. Uh, <laughs> kind of look in the mirror here. But a big-bodied guy, Pat Egan, pitched some in the big leagues this year. I think he's well down their list of guys who could get popped after a Win Pelzer, after maybe a Ryan Adams, after maybe even a Brandon Waring. Uh, but he is a right-hander with some arm strength. That wouldn't stun me mm-hmm. if Pat Egan got taken. Uh, I'm not sure if you're a Pat Egan aficionado or not. Do you know much about Pat I'm Egan? not a Pat Egan aficionado. All right. We also have, uh, since Pittsburgh has so many needs, will they take multiple picks? If so, who? Matt, it's almost more of a philosophical question that's asked by Del Rossi. Uh, but do you think that uh, if you were a team, a 57-win team, and the Pirates have been active in the Rule 5, Evan Meek, I know. Donald Veal, who you just described. And John Rayner last year. Right. They've I would expect them to be active. Do, would you be as active in the Rule 5 if you're a team that's that bad? Because they're bad. I would. I, I, you know, it's, I think it's a good a good, um, good opportunity to buy some you know, major league-ready type talent. And I, you know, for them, we talked about Nuri Rodriguez before. Do they have five starters better than Nuri Rodriguez? I don't think they do. Traditionally, they've leaned toward the left too, so Nuri could be especially attractive to them. Yeah, absolutely. And they just uh, obviously they DFA'd uh, Zach Duke. They've got innings. They they need innings. You know, I think Nuri Rodriguez fits for them, and I wouldn't be shocked if the Pirates took a pitcher with a number one overall pick. I wouldn't be shocked if they traded it, but I do expect them to be active um, in Pittsburgh. Uh, provided they're under 40. Again, I haven't checked every roster yet to see who's at 40 and who's not. Um, but I, I would expect them to be active. Uh, what else? Are, are there other expectations or general things that you wanted to make a point about with the Rule 5, Matt, before we uh, sign off on the podcast? We're, we're positive. It's a little bit shorter podcast today, but we, uh, as we've joked about already, we're on take two. Uh, take, take one uh, lost to history somehow. Uh, the point of um, minor, guys signing minor league deals and then being added to 40-man rosters. I like this idea. I think that's interesting. Uh, we saw that this offseason, uh, minor league free agents like Eric Hacker got yep. a big league deal from the Twins, as did Al Albuquerque with the Tigers. And then uh, the Dodgers signed Hector Jimenez, a catcher from their double-A team, signed him to a minor league deal, and then added him to the 40-man right before the, the cutoff date, which was not November your, 19th. Not your average double-A catcher. Here's a guy in his 11th pro season, signed in 1999 with the Astros originally, wow. 27 years old in double-A this year, and a very good double-A season, but still odd is he a double-A player, minor league free agent, signed on a major league contract. That is unusual. Yeah. Um, and then there were some other players uh, that we also kind of – well, Tim Wood, we've already mentioned, is a guy who was a minor league free agent. Who wasn't protected? We've seen this happen a few times, have we not? It, it does happen occasionally. Um, uh, recently, we saw it with R.A. Dickey. Uh, the Twins signed him, then the Mariners swooped in and <laughs> Rule Fived him weeks later. I like the swooping. Um, I th- there might have been another one or two we talked about. Josh Phelps, right? I think Josh Phelps was one of them. That's was, right. Was a guy like that. He was a minor league Rule Five, uh, a it minor happens. league free agent. So, so when teams do sign guys to minor league deals between you know the end of the season and November 19. They have, to be, they have to be aware of this. Because you want to be active. You want to be – to get those the better minor league free agents, you do need to be first. Exactly. You need to be aggressive. Right. And you and that's important. You want to stock your AAA team. You want to have insurance. Yeah. But do you want to waste – quote, unquote, not waste, but do you want to use up a 40-man roster spot on those guys? And apparently these are three guys that in order to secure their services, those organizations were up for giving up a major league, uh, you know, major league pick, which is – 
Major League Rogers spot, which I think is surprising because that's costly, mm-hmm. much more costly than picking a guy off the Rule Five draft for fifty grand. That's right. Um, we're about wrapping up the podcast though. Here, I did want to also mention uh, <clears throat> two other guys that I thought stood out on the eligibles list. There are a lot of really young Latin American or foreign signed players, Matt. Uh, but two who stuck out to me were uh, Ronnie Morla, no Ramon Morla, Ramon Morla, yeah. Ramon Morla out of the Mariner system, who was in the top ten of our Appy League prospects this year. And then Ismael Guion of the Reds organization, a left-hander who is kind of the Latin American Cody Scarpetta, if I'm calling him. <laughs> Guy who signed, contract was voided because of a pre-existing injury. Actually, I think he had Tommy John surgery. Re-signed with the Reds for a lower bonus, but because he had the contract voided and then re-signed with that same club, they have to protect him on the 40-man roster every year. And obviously this year they chose not to. He's out of the Arizona Rookie League. But he's been up to 92-93 with a promising breaking ball, you know, he's got three, the makings of three average to plus pitches, and he's left-handed, uh, and he's 18, 19 years old. Obviously, the Reds gambling that he won't stick in the big leagues. I think that's a safe gamble to take, uh, but he's going to be protected every year or exposed on the Rule 5, and a guy with that kind of arm strength and that kind of, uh, you know, repertoire at that young of an age, he's going to be interesting to watch. And then Morla, I think, uh, you know, you obviously know a lot more, had a big year in the Appy League, and has, he fits the third base profile, Matt, it sounds like. Yeah, he does. Uh, he hit 17 home runs, which we, we joked was Mitch Enert's right. ter- territory. That's right. Um, yeah, he he's protects to be a solid uh, third baseman defensively with the chance for uh, pretty significant power. Uh, you know, the question is, at this stage, he strikes out a lot, and the pitch recognition would be a uh, a pretty big mark against him in the big leagues right now. He might hit. Under 050. <laughs> that would be an obstacle to jumping from Pulaski <laughs> to uh, the Major League. Going down the Pulaski Highway, as James <laughs> Bailey used to like to say. Um, but yeah, I think the Rule 5 is a fascinating exercise. Uh, I'm glad they didn't move it up, Matt. I'm glad they didn't remove it from the from the winter meetings. There was that rumor that would move up. Oh. Um, you know, do, do you like the current rules? I mean, do you think that these current rules make sense? They seem like they've de-emphasized the Rule 5, but it does seem like it's more fair it is. to give teams longer looks at their own play. When you think about the top international guy signing at age 16, mm-hmm. you add them, you add five years to them, and they're still going to be 20 or 21. Right, you know? right. How do you know at that point? You don't. There's so. no way to know. So I think I think it is more fair with the money yeah. that's invested in these players up front. It's more fair it's for the, the development of these kids. You I know? agree. You know, letting them have a chance to develop in the minors instead of ha- about, having to worry about being in the big leagues in their fifth season. How about Scott Boris's idea about posting minor league players? Did you see that idea? I saw that a little bit. What do you, what do you think about that? I think that's crazy. I think it benefits uh, <laughs> agents and players yeah. exponentially more than the teams. Oh, that was kind of crazy talk. I mean, if you want to reduce the signing bonuses, the upfront investment that teams make, and then trade that off for more freedom for those players, I- I'm for that. Yeah. But I don't think that's what Scott Boris was talking about. I, I think the teams do invest a lot of money in these players. It would be nice in some way that they invested more, you know, in nutrition, better coaching, you know, better travel. You know, making sure that there's no team playing in Bakersfield anymore. You know, nothing against Bakersfield, but just that field is a joke. If you haven't read it already, read the business beat in this last issue. They gotta get, they gotta do something in the Cal League about Bakersfield. I believe it's the Reds who are trudging out to Bakersfield next year as their affiliate. And uh, I mean, it's a joke. It's just not good for baseball. And you had a dangerous situation this year with a player struck by a ground ball that took a crazy hop off a rock and hit him in the throat, and he had to be rushed off the field in an ambulance. I mean, it's just not a safe field. And it's just very rare that you have people go on the record as stridently against that field as we did in this issue of Baseball America. Uh, the writer from 
Bakersfield doing that story about how bad Bakersfield's situation is. So, yeah, I think that uh, that's where I'd like to see more money invested uh, myself. Um, and I think the team, the clubs do, you know, shoulder the burden of development, unlike other sports. Mm-hmm. So I think it makes sense the players have a little bit less movement. They're a little bit more restricted because the clubs invest more in their development. Even if it's even if that investment amounts to you know, 50 peanut butter and jelly sandwiches a night for the rookie-level team, that's stuff that you don't have to do in the NFL and the NBA. So it's a cost that's a, different for Major League Baseball, eats up a small chunk of their revenues compared to other sports. So, yeah, I think it's – it's uh, I, I do think that I, – I thought both – I thought I understand where Scott's ideas were coming from, and they're interesting to discuss. And I think actually while a lot of the ideas that Boris floats seem self-serving, I think he does try to – I think he loves baseball. I think he does try to do things that he thinks are better for the game. Um, so I, I like his World Series idea. I didn't agree with, but it was interesting to add two neutral site games to the World Series. Um, that was an interesting proposal. Um, I don't agree with it, but I like it when Scott floats his ideas. I don't mind that he that he uh, thinks outside the box and is willing to be quoted about it too. I don't I don't mind that at all. It uh, makes for it's interesting writing Elaine. We'll put it that way. It's a good way to wrap it up. Um, if you have questions for our podcast next week, we will podcast from the Rule 5 draft. As soon as it's over, Matt and I will gather in a corner room because we're not flying out immediately afterwards, I don't believe. Are you flying out immediately afterwards? On Thursday, not Thursday night. That's one of my favorite parts about the Rule 5 also, <laughs> that they do it in a big ballroom, and most of the scouts and big league and the front office officials bring their luggage to the room and set it off at the side or back of their chair because as soon as the Rule 5 is over, they get their stuff and they're out the door to the to the uh, end of the airport to, to fly out of Orlando or wherever it is. Uh, last year, people could not wait to get out of Indianapolis, but it wasn't just Indianapolis. They do that everywhere, even in Orlando. So uh, I love that aspect of the Rule 5 as well. It's, there's a randomness to it uh, that uh, intrigues me and interests me. In the, makes it, it's a unique event in baseball, I think. You don't get everybody together and have a draft like that. I wish we did that for the regular, for the real draft, you know, with an yeah. uh, office full of executives uh, who actually are the people making the decisions as opposed to Tommy Lasorda. You know, Tommy Lasorda doesn't go for the mic for the Rule 5. And the great Los Angeles Dodgers are going to pick like they do for the yeah. for the amateur draft. Uh, but anyway, we're both looking forward to it. We hope you have Rule 5 fever, too. I do encourage you to check out Matt's uh, 10-year really compendium of the Rule 5 that's free at BaseballAmerica.com. I want to remind you, the podcast is brought to you by MLB.com. You can do the special MLB.com offer. Not the MLB.com offer, I'm sorry. MLB Network offer at BaseballAmerica.com for four issues for $4. Check out our special MLB Network offer. So for Matt Eddy, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next week on the Baseball America podcast. Until then, so long, everybody.